Um, our reading this morning is from Acts 27, verse 1 to 5, and then 28, 1 to 16. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of Adramidium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave and to go to his friends and be cared for. And putting out to sea, from there we sailed under the lee of Cyprus, because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw Nufus fortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. After three months, we set sail in the ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria, with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days, and from there we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, the south wind sprang up, and on the second day we came to Putili. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome, and the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage, and when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. This is the word of the Lord. Morning. Whoa. And, wow, I'm loud. I mean, I know I'm loud, but that's ridiculous. Let me just... Uh, Yes, morning. Uh, if you're new and you don't know who I am, my name's Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here at Village. Um, and we're continuing on our series in Acts this morning. Uh, it's actually our penultimate week in Acts. So we've been, we've been in the book of Acts for about a year, and I'm actually a bit You know whenever you get to the end of a really good book and you feel like, I'm going to miss these people? Or you get to the end of like a Netflix series and you're like, I'm going to miss those guys. Like, uh, you know, I actually feel like the characters on the West Wing are my friends. So I was jealous whenever they're doing like these West Wing weekly live shows and people are hanging out with my friends and I'm not there, but they're not really my friends. So I feel that way kind of by acts. I'm like, ah, oh, I'm sad that we're at the end of it. Um, in two weeks, John's go- or sorry, next week, John's going to finish out the book of Acts and then in two weeks, we're going to start in the book of, of Ecclesiastes. Uh, old school, I know. It's going to be great. So in the next two weeks leading up to that, read the book of Ecclesiastes. 
It's got so much to say to, to the times that we live in, like so much to say. So be reading that and preparing your hearts for that and receive from that. Lucas is going to uh, start that series for us on the 6th of May. Um, speaking of Lucas, Lucas is in California right now, tough life. Uh, he's, with, he's, he's with a church uh, today who essentially uh, gifted us, the, or gifted Acts 20 and Ireland, Ireland their entire annual budget from one church. These are incredibly generous people. Uh, for example, uh, people that, that, that Healy and I only met once, and when Abby was born, they sent us like a big bunch of flowers. Well, I say us, sent Healy a bunch of flowers. I didn't do anything. Healy did it all. Isn't this big bunch of flowers from California? And you're just like, these are incredibly generous and thoughtful people. So pray for Lucas while he's there. Uh, he's going to be preaching that church. Uh, and then I'm going to join him in Reno, uh, not as nice as California, Reno next weekend. Uh, and we're going to the Acts 29 Western Region Conference. Um, we're going to be flying the flag for Village, uh, but also for church planting across Ireland. Um, and we're going to try and uh, form some really good gospel partnerships there. So pray for us while we travel. Um, and it's weird going on a journey uh, and then reading this passage today, because <laughs> uh, hopefully it doesn't turn out like that. But let's get stuck in. Um, I want to start by asking you a question that, you, that can be entirely rhetorical. Uh, have you ever been in a life-threatening situation? Have you ever been in a situation where you're like, yep, I'm definitely going to die. I'm, this is how I die. This is how I'm going to die. Uh, this year marks six years uh, since Healy and I got married, but more importantly, uh, six years since the best stag do ever. <laughs> no, I mean, it was epic, actually epic. Uh, there, was, there were boats, there were islands, there was uh, uh, whiskey. It was just incredible. So uh, me and eight or nine friends, I can't remember, on this, uh, I was going to say ship. It's not a ship. It's not a yacht. It's like a 35-year-old uh, sailing boat. Uh, we got on this boat uh, with Davy, who owns the boat, and we sailed from Ballycastle over to Isla, the home of the finest whiskies in the world. And uh, it, was an, it was supposed to be this, well, it was. It was an incredible time. It was supposed to last two days, but the, broke, the boat broke down, uh, so we had to wait for a part to be flown from somewhere to Isla. And so we were there for like five days, um, which was really great, <laughs> except that we all ran out of money. Uh, but yes, so we were coming home, and... Um, it was kind of like, we knew it was like a windy day. We knew it was a windy day. Uh, we were coming home, and we, we like sailing out of the, the harbor. And as soon as we got into open water, the boat kind of just like tipped 45 degrees. And I, I'm not a sailor. I'm not used to that. And I think it's safe to say we were all like, we're going to die. Like, honestly, I was like, this, yep, this is how I die. I'm going to die before I get married. And uh, Davy's like, the rain's coming down, the waves are coming over, and he's like a crazy pirate, you know, steering a ship. Ah, isn't that great, lads? And we're like, you know, like, oh my goodness, like, this is actually how it ends. But I don't know if you've ever felt like that. Have you ever felt like, this is how, this is how it ends for me? Or have you ever been in a situation, maybe you haven't been in a situation like that, where, um, but maybe, like, you just feel completely out of control. So maybe you've never had your life threatened but maybe you've experienced a loved one having a life threatened. Or maybe you've experienced the death of a loved one. Or maybe you've experienced situations where you're just like, my life is in free fall. I feel like the very walls of my life are crashing in around me. And the challenge or the question I want you to think about while we go through this passage this morning is, how did you react? How would you react in a situation like that? I kind of imagine the people who were on this journey with Paul 
Um, we'll, see, we'll see later on that there's, it's, a, it's a boat full of prisoners. There's 276 people on board, 276 guys. Can you imagine how they would have felt? Can you imagine how they would have felt when they spent two weeks lost at sea, drifting in the Mediterranean in a storm? They didn't see sun or stars for two weeks. They weren't eating. They weren't sleeping. And then they were shipwrecked and they were marooned on an island for three weeks, three months. Can you imagine what they were thinking and feeling? Um, in this passage, we see kind of how Paul deals with this situation um, and how he gains, or how, where he gets his encouragement and the strength uh, to carry on. This journey uh, is Paul's last journey. It's the last big journey ever takes. He want, he, he's going to Rome, but he thinks he's going to, he's, he plans to go on to Spain and do that like middle-class British thing and retire in Spain. That's what he wanted to do. You know, only he was going to share the gospel in his last days, but he doesn't get to Spain. He ends up staying in Rome, and he's imprisoned there for two years. He writes to a bunch of churches, and we have some of those writings in the New Testament. And then he's decapitated under uh, Nero, who orders his death. Um, this journey should have taken about five weeks, but it ends up taking uh, over four months. And we can kind of see that this journey is broken into four. I don't know if you can. Oh, that's pretty clear. This journey is broken into four stages. Uh, first of all, as we read in, in verses 1 to 5, uh, he goes from Caesarea to Myra, which is down in Jerusalem, or down in Israel. He goes up the coast of Sidon and then round the coast of uh, Cyprus to Myra, which is in Turkey. They set sail on this prisoner ship under Julius, who was a centurion, so he's a prisoner. Um, when you talk about prisoners, what was actually happening there? These guys are going to Rome. The Romans at that time, especially under Nero and other emperors like him, they would gather prisoners from all over the empire, so all over the world, condemned men who would be brought to Rome to fight in their arena. And not in the kind of Russell Crowe, really cool, like, champion gladiator, but the guys who were given a small knife and told to fight a pack of wolves. Or the guy, these are people who are going to be torn to shreds by wild animals in their arena. And these are the men that Paul's sailing with, and he's condemned just like, like they are. Uh, we knew that Luke is with him because in the narrative it says we, um, and when it was decided that we should set sail for Italy, verse 1. And so anytime we see we in the book of, of Acts, we know that Luke is there because he's writing the book. And Aristarchus is there as well, we see in verse 2. Um, Aristarchus, we've mentioned him before. He's all throughout Paul's letters. He's a guy who came to faith in one of Paul's church plants, and then he joins him on mission. Paul calls him in Colossians a fellow prisoner. He calls him in Philemon a co-worker. And so he's a really important guy, a really important friend, and he's a missionary just like Paul. And then they stop at Sidon where Paul's allowed to see his friends and they care for him and they, take, they give him some food. And then they set sail around the sheltered side of Cyprus to reach Myra, which is in Turkey. And then the second stage of the journey uh, is kind of the bulk of chapter 27, which we skipped out, but we're, I'm going to recap because it's important to know what's going on there. Um, they stop at a harbor called Fair Havens, which is on the island of Crete. Um, and Paul says, you know what, guys? I've been shipwrecked a few times before. I know how to sail in the Mediterranean. I think we should winter here. But Ju Julius, who's a Roman centurion, he's, I can, you can imagine he's really keen to get back to his family in Rome. So he consults with the captain of the ship, and he says, let's do it now. And it's only 40 miles around the coast of, uh, of, of Crete to a, a better harbor called Phoenix, and they decide to set out. And for a while, they, things are going pretty well. They get a wee tailwind, and they're like, this is great. Um, but then, in verse 14, we see that there's this wind called the Northeaster. Um, they, didn't, they weren't very creative at naming these things. But it would be less threatening if it was like 
wind Barbara or something, wouldn't it? Um, like our storms. Uh, but this wind stirs up the storm, which lasts for two weeks, um, and they're lost at sea. They're actually so lost at sea, they're scared that they're going to run aground over here off the coast of Libya. That's how lost they are. They were supposed to be going up around to, to, to Rome, and they're so lost that, that, that they think they're going to run, run aground there. And then finally, they're shipwrecked on Malta. Can we have that slide up, Stephen? Yeah. So this is a picture that Travis uh, sent to me. Uh, Travis and Lauren Young were in Malta a couple of weeks ago. And this is a picture of a, a ship, uh, presumably much bigger than the ship that Paul was on. Um, and it's made out of metal and not wood. It ran aground here on the same spot that Paul was shipwrecked on, on the same day, this is February this year, on the same day that they celebrate, that they have a feast day to celebrate the day that Paul was shipwrecked on Malta. You can see what it's like. It's really rocky. Those same storms and same winds exist. Travis was telling me, you can read the newspaper reports of it online. Travis was telling me that actually Malta is known for being windy in the same way as Ireland's known for being rainy. It's that kind of thing. Um, so this is a really dangerous place, but I thought it was, gives us some context of this kind of thing happens still in the Mediterranean. You kind of think in 200 years, like, come on, lads, you know, learn something about navigation, but there we are. Um, then back to our map, please, Stephen. The third part of the journey is when he goes from Malta to Italy. He's on the island for three months. They actually do spend the, the winter on Malta, and then he finally gets to Italy. Um, and, he, uh, and then his last stage, the fourth stage, is this bit from what is modern-day Naples to Rome, about 120 miles. So even when they got to Italy, they still had a wee bit of journeying to do. Um, and, during that, and during that journey, uh, he's greeted by the brothers and sisters along the road. Um, there's already church, a church in Rome and, and churches around that area. And uh, so he's not the, Paul isn't the first one to, to bring the gospel there, which is really interesting. But he does go and, and, and strengthen them and spends two years there. And he finally reaches Rome in chapter 28, verse 14. So that's kind of a, a brief overview of, of what's going on in this story, uh, in this passage this morning. But I want to think about what that means for us. Remember that all of Scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit. So all the details are in there for a reason. Luke is this incredibly detailed writer, and, he, and there's stuff in there about uh, sea anchors and mainsails and nav- like navigation. All this kind of stuff is in there for a detail, or, or in the, all these details are in there for a reason. Um, so we have to, our job then is to go, well, what is this reason? And as I read this passage, I can't help but notice that God is just incredibly faithful. Not just in that he saves Paul and gets him to Rome, or not just that he saves the crew, the crew and the prisoners, but actually he's incredibly faithful to who his purpose is. What he has ordained will happen, does happen. And that's our main point this morning. Our main point is that God will fulfill his purposes. What God says is going to happen, will happen. What God desires to happen, will happen. Even if it seems impossible. Even in the middle of storms, even in the middle of shipwrecks, even like getting bit by snakes and having campfires on islands, in the middle of all of that, God's will will be done. So we can take comfort. This passage today is a story within a story, which I love. Um, it's kind of a tool that Luke uses. Uh, I used it in his gospel as well. He, he'll, he'll, take, he'll, he'll have a little section that explains the narrative of the whole book that he's writing. So we see this in Luke chapter 24, the last chapter of his, his gospel, and we have this account of, of two disciples after the resurrection. They're all, they're all downhearted because they think Jesus is dead, 
And they're, they're going back to Emmaus, and Jesus appears with them on the road, and they don't recognize him. Jesus disguises himself, and they don't recognize him. And then that whole account is Jesus explaining the, the, explaining the gospel from all of scriptures, from, the, from all of history, right through to what has happened in Jerusalem to him. And it's this idea that Luke is telling this, this miniaturized, uh, condensed version of his entire gospel, and he does it here in the end of, in the end of Acts as well. Let me explain. Turn back to chapter 1, if you have your Bible open. We're probably going to flip around a wee bit today, so keep your Bibles open. Acts chapter 1, uh, verses 78, 7 to 8, not 78, 70, 7 to 8, uh, these are the words of Jesus, and it, and it says, He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And then back to uh, chapter 28, verse 14. Uh, verse 14 of chapter 28 is one of the key verses in all of Acts. And it says this, There we find brothers, and we're invited to stay with them for seven days. This sentence, And so we came to Rome. What does that mean? Well, have you ever heard the phrase, all roads lead to Rome? Uh, that was, back then, that was literally the case. Every road in the Roman Empire connected up so that all roads came to Rome. It was the center of the world. It was, it was the way by which, uh, it was the way, those roads were the way by which information and news and, and, and supplies and, and ideas and thoughts spread. To, and, and Rome was super connected. These roads were the internet of the day. And so when the gospel gets to Rome, it's going to the ends of the earth. So the whole message of Acts is showing that God is sovereign and his purposes will be fulfilled. Jesus says, you're going to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. And the end of, and the end of Acts shows that that's actually what happens. God's will will be fulfilled. And all the other stuff that happens in the other 27 chapters in between, that's all showing that even against beatings and adversity and torture and shipwrecks and people falling out of windows and dying and all these kinds of things, God's will is just steadily advancing. The gospel's steadily going forth and spreading out from this tiny wee backwater called Jerusalem that wasn't even significant on the world stage. It was so insignificant in the Roman Empire that People like Pontius Pilate who ruled over it, didn't even, nobody wanted that job. And here we have the gospel going out and spreading out because God's will uh, will be done. His purposes will be fulfilled. And that's what we see in our passage today within this story, within the bigger story. So what does it mean for us? I want us to learn three lessons from Paul. The first one is God's purposes will be fulfilled so we can trust the word of God. We can trust the word of God. Paul, again and again in our story, he, he, he trusts the word of God. Let's look at this. Way back when Paul was in Jerusalem, uh, God told him that he would go to Rome. So back in chapter 23, if you remember, he's in the barracks, he's imprisoned, and a bunch of Jews are trying to kill him. Uh, chapter 23, verse 11 says, The following night the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage. This is the Lord speaking to Paul. Take courage, for as you have testified uh, to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. And, and, and Paul heard the word of God, and he allowed that to, to direct the decisions he made. He didn't have to ask to go and stand before Caesar, but he did. 
And we see that in chapter 25. He appeals to Caesar. And we saw that. Lucas took us through that a couple of weeks ago. He appeals to Caesar because God has told him that he's going to go to Rome. God has told him, you're actually going to go to Rome and you're going to testify about me there. Paul listens to the word of God and he allows that to, affect, to, to direct his decisions. He listened to the word of God and he acted on it. And Paul, through his obedience to God's word, just kind of proves that the word of God is real and can be trusted. Paul, through these storms and through the shipwreck and through the snakes biting him and all kinds of stuff, he proves that God keeps his word. Let's look at chapter 27 in our passage this morning. I'm going to read a few verses. Verse 21. They're still on the boat. They're in the middle of the storm. And this is what Paul says. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, from Crete, uh, men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet, now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. For this very night, listen to the comparison between chapter 23, there stood before me an angel of the, the angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who, God has granted you all those who set sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. It will be, I have faith that it will be exactly as I've been told. He has ultimate trust in the word of God. He listens to the word of God. He allows it to direct his actions and he just trusts it. He's like, God, you said this, so it's gonna be true. And God turns up in the middle of this storm and just reinforces his promises. They've been battered by this storm for two weeks. They're hungry, they're tired, they're scared. Incredibly, incredibly superstitious uh, people back then. And we see that later on. They have, they have a God called justice. And they're like, oh, this God, goddess called justice is biting your hand. He must be a murderer. They also, they put, they put figures of, of gods on the, on the ships. They're incredibly superstitious. And they're scared and they're hopeless. And then here's Paul in the middle of it. And he says, don't be afraid. Take heart. Because what God has told me, we can trust that. We can trust the word of God. His encouragement isn't just from his own thoughts and hopes. It's from the word of God. And he wasn't just kind of like hoping that things would work out okay. He was listening to God and taking him at his word. For Paul, the promises of God, because of the promises of God, there was no need to fear. And the point is this for us this morning. God always keeps his word. Always. The promises of God always are fulfilled. Even if you can't figure out how on earth this is going to turn out that his promises will be fulfilled. They will be fulfilled. Paul does make it to Rome. The other sailors do make it out alive. I want to ask you this morning, where, where, are, you, where are you at this morning? Are you, are you in the middle of the storm? Are you in the middle of a storm? Are you lost at sea? Are you, are you battening down the hatches, just praying for daylight to come so you can get through it somehow? Do you feel like you're spiraling out of control? Does you feel like your world is crashing in around you? The things that you depend on are gone? Maybe it's just a case of life hasn't turned out the way you thought it would. Maybe none of this is what you planned for your life and you don't understand why you are where you are or how you got there. So what do you do? Well, your first step, like Paul, is to listen to the word of God. Listen 
to the promises of God and trust them. The promises of God are true and they never fail. Here's a promise that comes from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 43, 1-3 if you're taking notes. God says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. Listen to how, listen how personal this is. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Paul, Paul, can you imagine Paul remembering that verse? When you pass through the waters, it's okay, God. I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Isn't that an incredible promise? So if you're in the storm, you can hold on to that promise. These promises come to us as Christians through Jesus, and we can claim them as his own. This is why Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, he says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him, in Jesus. All their promises of God find their yes in him. That's, that is why through him we utter our amen to the glory of God, because all his promises are true. And what set Paul apart from all the others on the ship was his assurances that the promises of God were true and can be trusted. The Word of God can be trusted. Paul, has, God has said it, so it will be. And that's what we need to do. We need to find uh, our hope in the promises of God. If you really are struggling and you're not reading the Bible, you're going to find that a hundred times tougher. Listen to the Word of God. Listen to His promises. He has ordained it so it will happen. We fight fear by remembering the promises of God. So God's purposes will be fulfilled so we can trust His Word. But we can also rest in the sovereignty of God. Because Paul trusted in the Word of God, because Paul had told him these things, he was able to have hope. Even when everyone else, these guys were so like terrified and, and hopeless that they had stopped eating for two weeks. He had hope that God was in control. I want to stop for a second, because I've just said a big word, and I want to explain what that means. Sovereignty of God. What does the sovereignty of God mean? It's in the Bible a lot, and we need to talk about it. Well, John Piper has this definition. I love it. He says, uh, it simply means there are no limits to God's rule. It's part of what it means for him to be God. He is in control over the whole world and everything that happens in it. He is never helpless, never frustrated, never at a loss. The sovereignty of God means that he's never surprised. You know, he's never like, oh, I didn't see that coming. Now I've got to think of like a plan to, you know, get It's like, he's not like your sat-nav whenever you go off the thing and it reroutes. God's never like that. He's never rerouting your life. He's never surprised. He's never at a loss. He's never helpless. He's never frustrated. And Paul knew this about God. Paul knew that God was in control, so he could just simply rest in that. Look at how he trusted God in his journey. He had hope in the middle of the storm. Verse 25, he says, Take heart, men, for I have faith in the, God, uh, in the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. He had hope. In verse 35, And when he'd said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Two weeks in the middle of a storm, and Paul's like, well, now seems like a good time for the sandwiches to come out. I don't want that. But he has this hope. He has this faith that everything's going to work out okay. And can you imagine those guys? Can you imagine the people he's with? He's like, 
why are you giving thanks? What have you got to be thankful for? We've been lost at sea for two weeks. We're probably going to die out here. Even if we do somehow make it through, uh, if you try to escape, the centurion's going to kill you. And even if, you, if he doesn't kill you, you're going to go to Rome and stand before Caesar, the emperor Nero. What have you got to be thankful for? And he had hope. He had, of course he had cause to be thankful because he had hope in the promises of God. He knew that God is sovereign. He had hope in this shipwreck as well. Uh, when they were shipwrecked on the island, he, he, didn't, he didn't lose his hope. He just kind of got about his business. He continued to serve the people. We see later on, we see uh, in, in the start of chapter 28 that we read that he's just there trying to build a fire for people and serving people. He doesn't lose his hope. He's not like, come on, God, you said we were going to Rome and now we're in Malta. I think as Christians, we've lost the, we've lost the, the art of just trusting God in, in the interruptions in life. Things don't turn out the way you think they're going to. They don't often turn out the way you want them to. But they always turn out the way God wants them to. And we need to trust him in that. I also want to clarify that this is not about just being ambivalent to everything that's going on around us. We're not just like, well, God's in control, so I can just, you know, forget about everything. You know, I'm not going to care for people. I'm not going to uh, worry about things that, you know, I'm not going to, well, yeah, we shouldn't worry about things. But we're not going to care about what's going on. It's not, it's not that kind of thing. What it is, is trusting that God is sovereign so we can still care about people, so that we can uh, care about our own lives, so we can serve others. It's not just about, it's not just about um, being careless people in the world. It's because God is sovereign that Christians should be the most caring people in the world, because we know that all of this stuff is working, is God working his purposes out. Uh, when I was reading this uh, passage, I was reminded of Jonah. If you don't know the story of Jonah, I'll, I'll recap quickly for you. Uh, Jonah is a, a, a character in the Old Testament. He's actually a prophet. Um, and Jonah, God tells Jonah, look, I want you to go to Nineveh, which actually back then wasn't too dissimilar from Rome in terms of like the morality and the things they were doing. And, and, and God says, go to, go to Nineveh and, and, and preach to them and tell them the word of God. And, and Jonah's, for a whole bunch of reasons, most of all, which is his own uh, prejudice against those people, he's like, nah, not me. And he, so he gets in a boat to sail across the sea in the opposite direction. And he's actually trying to, it's interesting, because Jonah is actually trying to go to Spain to get away, from the, get away from preaching the word of God. And then a big storm comes up in the sea, same idea in the Mediterranean. The storm comes up and Jonah realizes, I'm disobeying God. I'm the reason this storm has been caused. And so he asks the men to like throw him overboard um, and then God saves him and it's a great story. But for Jonah, being caught in a storm at sea was the direct result of his rebellion. It was the direct result of his disobedience. He tried to, to run away from the purposes of God. He completely disobeyed. But for Paul, being caught in a, a storm at sea was the direct result of his obedience. He was trying to run in the direction of the purposes of God, but the storm still came. And what does this show us? It shows me, firstly, that God's purposes will be fulfilled, but also it shows us that 
obeying God, being obedient to him, listening to him and following his word, that doesn't always guarantee safety and comfort. Do you think Christianity's gonna make you feel safe and comfortable? Uh-uh. C.S. Lewis said this great thing. He said, um, I love C.S. Lewis. He said, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. Good guy. Uh, a little port? I don't know. Uh, anyway, he continues, if you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. If you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. Christianity guarantees suffering. It guarantees sacrifice. This is why, the, this is why like prosperity gospel people, have, they've, they've lost the plot. Because they've taken a few out of context verses and they've said, oh, if I, God, is, God is like this giant vending machine that if I put the right things in, he'll give me the right things out. That's not how it works. The God that we serve is a suffering God and we are joined with him in his suffering. Uh, obeying God doesn't guarantee your safety and comfort, but what it does guarantee is that we can have hope in the midst of the suffering because we know it's only temporary and we know it's for our good. I've said this before from up here. I said uh, um, when Finley was, was small, uh, really small, I was taking him to get his injections and they, for some reason they thought it'd be less traumatic to do them both at once, but that just meant there's two nurses coming at you with needles at the same time, but they're like, well, just get in, get it done. So, so I was literally like holding him so he couldn't like fight, holding him like that, and he's like crying, and I'm crying because he's crying, and these nurses are stabbing him, it was awful. They weren't stabbing him, they were doing a job, and I'm thankful for the NHS, but... <laughs> but my point is that, that, that Finley's like an a, a infant, he doesn't know, he just knows this is causing him pain, and it's scary. He can't see the bigger picture that I can see that is... Listen, mate, if you don't get this done, you're going to get rubella or you're going to get the mumps. I don't even know what these old, these old diseases are. They don't exist anymore, thankfully. But like, you're going to get something. You need, you need this. This is for your good, and it hurts right now. But you can't see that what I'm doing is because I love you. And this is why Paul could take hope. Not because he knew how everything was exactly going to turn out. He clearly didn't because he didn't know he was going to end up in Malta. He didn't know, but he knew the one who does know, right? He knew the one who does know. And we might not know why things are the way they are right now. You might not know why it hurts so bad right now, but you know the one who does know. And he's a good, good father. He's the kind of father that, that does take you to the doctor and get the injections so you don't get those diseases. And he promises never to leave us or never forsake us. But I also want to say this. Maybe you're not in the middle of a storm right now. Maybe actually things are pretty okay. You're chilling, like, you know, things are going okay and, and you're happy enough. And maybe you've never really experienced hardship or suffering. Um, and that's great and you should thank God for that. But it will come. We just live life, don't we? Eventually we're going to know someone that gets sick or someone that passes away in a car accident or these, these things happen. It will, it will happen. Uh, I'm always reminded by a friend, he says uh, this thing that a guy said once when, when someone died, and he said, we practice in the dark what we learn in the light. 
So if, you've, if you're thinking, this doesn't apply to me, it does. You just don't know it yet. Learn where the light switch is before you go to bed at night and you have to scramble around in the dark. When I spend time suffer, uh, with people who are suffering, and it's not like I'm going around caring for lots of like, you know, suffering people, but it just happens, and it's even in my own family. And one of the most questions I always get is about why this is happening. Why is this happening? You know, like, I, I, I know I'm supposed to believe that God has a purpose in this, but I can't see why this would be happening. If God has a plan, I can't see it right now. And the truth is, as Christians, we do know why it's happening. Let's, let's turn, with me, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We're going to read from verse uh, 21. Uh, yeah, yes. We're going to read from verse 21 down to, chapter, to verse 30. And this is Paul, and he's talking about his own suffering. And he said, uh, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far, great, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews, 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day, I was adrift at sea. And this is, before, this is before he's even got to the shipwreck that we're on. So he's shipwrecked four times. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and in hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? Am I not weak? Who is made to fall? And am I not indignant? If I must boast... I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Whoa. That's how you suffer as a Christian. That's how you suffer as a Christian. We suffer and we boast in our weakness so that God will be glorified. When we're at our weakest, God is at his most glorified. There's nothing in this of me. And we're going to come to that later on. This is why Peter said in 1 Peter 4 in his letter to the suffering church, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised when at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you are Christ, you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory revealed. In other words, Christians, we don't need to worry, we don't need to wonder about why we're suffering. We already know. We're suffering for our good and for God's glory. When we are at our weakest, God is most glorified. Boast in your weakness. Boast in your suffering, because that's when God is most glorified. So we see this idea that um, God's purposes will be fulfilled, so we can, uh, we can trust his word, we can rest in his sovereignty. But there's something else that happens in Paul here, and is that because God's purposes will be fulfilled, he just joins with the mission of God. He joins God in mission. Paul knew that God was fulfilling all his purposes. And in the middle of all that he was going through, the shipwrecks, the storms, the snake bite, all that kind of stuff, he just knew that God was fulfilling his purposes. So he had this gospel intentionality at all times. 
every part of his suffering was another opportunity for, for Paul to show people Jesus, right? He's con- and we're going to look at this. Even when, when Peter, or sorry, even when Paul was in prison, when he gets to Rome, he's in prison there for two years. And this is what he says. He writes, a, he writes from the prison in Rome, he writes a letter to the church in Philippi. And he says this in Philippians chapter one. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known through the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers and sisters, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul's in prison. He doesn't care about himself. His mindset is, are more people hearing about Jesus? Yes, then this is a good thing. That's his one purpose in life. Are more people hearing about the freeing, saving, amazing good news of Jesus? Yes, then it's okay. God's purposes are being fulfilled. And it's because of this mindset that he has that he, he continually took gospel opportunities in our passage that we were reading this morning. He has these gospel opportunities to sh- in, 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 uh, in verses 21 to 25 where he says, don't be afraid. God has granted you all. He tells the people the reason for his hope. Verse 35, he gives thanks to God in front of everyone as we've seen. He's showing people this is the God to whom I belong and the God to whom I work, worship. All these things are part of his plan. We've already seen that when he gets to Malta and there's shipwrecked there, that he's serving the people. He's the one who's building the fire. And then he goes around to verses 8 and 9. Let's just read them quickly. Uh, it happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. Uh, after Paul visited him and prayed and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. You know, uh, in verse 2 of this chapter, uh, the word there, uh, native people, is actually where we get our word barbarian. Uh, So, you know, maybe Luke has some idea that these people are barbarians and he uses barbarians. Uh, but actually, Paul is serving them. He's praying for them. No doubt he's sharing the message of Jesus with them. Even in the middle of all his suffering, he's continually taking gospel opportunities. And there's something incredibly powerful, as we just kind of come to a close, there's something incredibly powerful about Christians having hope and displaying hope and continue to share Jesus in the middle of suffering. Because the world has no explanation for that, do they? Paul, what have you got to be so thankful for, mate? Look at your situation right now. Why would, why would the world uh, see sense in us being hopeful and continuing to serve a God who in their eyes has abandoned us to pain and suffering and hardship? And listen, it might not be pain and suffering and hardship like our traumatic experience on Ida or Paul's traumatic, equally traumatic experience in Acts. It might be that you've lost your job and you don't have as much money coming in every month. It might be that you really want to have kids and for some reason it's just not happening. Or it might be that the person that you were putting all your hope in to make you happy has left or has died. But even in the midst of all those things, we take hope and we continue to proclaim the gospel. Peter says in the same letter that we read earlier, always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that is in you. And it's through the hopeful suffering of believers that the world will see Jesus in the most powerful way. 
And it's not a vain, it's not a vain thing, that, that, a vain hope that somehow things will be okay. You know, like, when you've ever said to someone, ah, I'll be, it's going to be okay, it's okay. And you're like, I don't know if this will be okay or not. But we do know, we do know that God is working his purposes through all these things. It's not a vain hope. It's a, it's a sure certainty that things are okay because God is sovereign. And this is what Paul was doing. There's one more point I want to make, and it's this. I want us to be encouraged from Paul and how he dealt with suffering and obstacles and, and all that kind of stuff. But don't just be encouraged by Paul because he was a good example of, of suffering. He was a good example of continuing through suffering. That's kind of missing the point, and Paul would certainly be annoyed if that's what I preached to you this morning. The point is this, Paul could only be a good example because he knew Jesus. It's because that Jesus went through the ultimate storm that Paul's able to go through this storm. It's only because Jesus went through that storm that he's able to know that God is sovereign and he's able to know that he can trust his word. Let me explain. I just said that, that, that Jesus went through the ultimate storm. What does that mean? Well, what I mean is this, we live in a broken world. We live... Uh, in a world that's full of the effects of sin. And actually, we ourselves, as a species, carry the effects of that brokenness. We carry that brokenness in, in our very being. We carry the effects of that all the time. We see this. We see the way that, that we constantly try to shift the blame if we do something wrong. We see the way that we get sick and die. We see the way that we get old And we carry the, the effects of this brokenness and sin. And, and the, ultimate, the ultimate result of that brokenness and sin is separation. Complete death and separation from God. But Jesus, who is God himself, suffered the end result of that sin and defeated it. He went through death and separation from God. On the cross, when he died, he went through ultimate hell. He went through the complete separation from God and the complete, uh, complete death, and he came back from that. He defeated it. And so through faith in him, we're joined to him, and we share in that victory. And so we never, ever, 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 as Christians, face the final result of sin. Sure, we still live in a broken world. Uh, um, just, just, just earlier, I was chatting with John, and this week we both have anniversaries of the, the days that our fathers died. And all of you have been, all of you known people have died. We live in a world that is full of the effects of sin, and it still touches us, and it still hurts like hell. But we know it's not final because we're in Jesus, right? We know it's not the end. There's a hope that exists there. We live, with the result of the, we live with the results of this broken world and feel the effects, but ultimately the victory is ours because we are in Jesus. This is why we have hope in the middle of the storm. This is why we trust the sovereignty of God. And let me finish by saying this. If you're not a Christian, you're still trying to figure all this out, maybe you're here because someone dragged you, or maybe you're here because you felt you should come. God's purposes will be fulfilled it's no mistake that you're here. It's no mistake. This is for you too. If you're not a Christian, this is for you too. 
You can have this. You can have what we Christians have. You can, you can claim the God that we belong to and that we worship. And it's only through Jesus that any suffering makes sense. Whatever you have went through, whatever you are going through, whatever you will go through, you don't know about yet. It's only in Jesus that, that stuff makes sense. It's only in that stuff that makes sense. Ask him. Have to take your wee baby to hospital? Oh, scary. But God is in control. And, and it might hurt, but God is in control. So I invite you to accept Jesus this morning. Let's take our hope and our strength from, from a God who is sovereign. Let's trust in his word. Let's rest in his sovereignty. And let's know that you are where you are because God has put you there. And he is working out his purposes. And his kingdom is advancing the way it did through the entire book of Acts. The way it did through Peter being lost at sea, or Paul being lost at sea, shipwrecked, bitten by snakes. Eventually he gets to Rome and the gospel reaches the ends of the earth. God's will will be done. His purposes will be fulfilled. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your promises are yes and amen. We thank you that, you, that we find that your promises find their yes in Jesus and we can utter our amen because of him. Help us to look to your word. Help us to know your word. Help us to meditate on it so that when the suffering comes, we know exactly how to respond. Lord, thank you for your sovereignty, that you're always in control, that you're never surprised by anything, that you're always right there in the middle of it with us. Help us to cling on to your sovereignty, knowing that the end is secure. And Father, help us. Help us just take these gospel opportunities. May the hope that we have found in your word and in your sovereignty just drive us to share Jesus with everybody we meet. Lord, and as we come to the table to remember your sacrifice, to remember the ultimate storm that you went through, Lord, may that turn us around and send us out these doors ready to share that sacrifice with everybody we come across. Lord, we love you and we trust you and life is hard and we're scared a lot and we're nervous a lot, and we feel lost at sea a lot. But Lord, we trust your, your sovereignty, and we recommit to you this morning to trust your word, to take you at your word, and just to follow you, because the victory is ours in Jesus. For your glory, Lord. Amen.